you're taking your seat, if you grab a copy of God's Word and open to the Gospel according to John with me, we're going to be in chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13, I saw that just so you know. If you guys are really good Christians and you close your eyes when you pray, you never see me get up here and fix this rug. But if you had your open your eyes open, you saw Brad mess the rug up as he was leaving the stage. But I saw it. I saw it. I got you. John chapter 13 is going to be where we're at this morning. We're going to look at the first 14 verses here. I don't know if you ever ask this question during this time of the year like I do. Um, I don't trust if anybody in here is a meteorologist, this is not directed at you, but I don't trust weather people. I just don't. You know how I check the weather? I go outside. Because my phone can say one thing, Anna's phone can say a different thing, and what's happening outside is a totally different thing, right? But if you're anything like me, like when we get to this particular time of year, you just ask this question, like, what season are we in? Does anybody know, like, I mean, the calendar says it's supposed to be winter, but, like, I'm wearing shorts the other day. No jackets. Like, who needs them, right? I had this weird time in my life where, for three years, we lived in Texas. <clears throat> I mowed my yard the week of Christmas. And when it snows, especially, like, down in the Houston area in Texas, it comes out of the sky yellow. It's called pollen. And it covers your car. Like, just like we're going to probably at some point have to move snow out of our driveways and off our cars. Like when you're in the Houston area, you literally have to go out and brush the pollen off your car. Because it's that thick, right? And you're just left with this question like, what season are we in? What in the world is going on? As we've been working through this particular Advent season, we've been looking at the different seasons of Jesus' earthly life. And I think some of us, when we come to this particular season that we're going to look at this morning, we can ask that question, what season is it? Right? What season is it? Because as you read the text, you're, you're going to see that during this particular season of Jesus' earthly life, the crowds are growing. Right? There's more people following Jesus. More people are interested in the things that he's saying, the things that he's teaching. They want to sit at his feet. They want to learn and they want to understand. But at the same time, during this particular season of Jesus' earthly life, the animosity and disdain toward him is growing. Right? People are coming towards him wanting to end his teaching. And it tells us, I'm just going to read these few verses at the end of chapter 12 here. It says in John 12, 44, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What season are we in? 
the season where Jesus has come and made it known that he is here to save the world. And then in John chapter 13, we come to this familiar text, what has become known to us as the Last Supper. Look with me at John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. What season is it? It's a season where Jesus has made it known that he's come. And he's not just come to live an earthly life and not be the end. He's come to be the Savior of the world. And He's come in the form of a servant. A humble servant. And that's what we look at this morning is this humble servanthood of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You in this moment, Lord, asking, God, asking for You to lead us. God, help us to understand the things that we read in your word this morning. God, help us to see the beauty of the way that you served. The reason that you were serving in the particular way that you were. God, and for some of us, may we see that model of servanthood. May we understand the truth that you have come to save the world. God, may we see that for the first time this morning. God, would you save people who need to be saved? God, would you humble those who need to be humbled this morning? God, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Humble servanthood. So what we're talking about this morning. Let me give you this take-home truth to summarize what I mean when I say humble servanthood. Humble servanthood is evident in the posture, motive, and attitude of the individual. You see, because humble servanthood is not just boiled down to a particular exterior act of service. It involves the posture, the motive, and the attitude of the one serving. The first thing we see is the posture of Jesus. Look with me at verse 4. It says, After rising from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? When we think about posture, I want us to to understand this in the relationship of the position that Jesus is taking. 
And we, this fall, spent time uh, working through the, the letters to the Philippians, right? And the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians this great Christological text in Philippians 2. And he says that, that Jesus himself, who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead humbled himself and took the position of a servant. Now you have to understand that in this particular context in the first century, they didn't have socks. And everybody wore sandals. And aren't we thankful that they didn't have socks? Now, if I'm speaking to you wearing socks and sandals, we can talk about that later. <clears throat> but everybody wore sandals. They didn't have cars. They walked everywhere. So you can imagine how dirty their feet got. Right? The first thing that would happen if you were stepping into someone's house or into a, a meeting place of some sort, that there would be a servant at the doorstep to wash your feet. Right? Now, that, that's something that's totally lost on our culture. Some of us ask people to take their shoes off when they step into our house, right? Some of us just don't care, right? And then some of us are like, I don't want to inconvenience them. But then you start processing while they're in your home, still wearing their shoes, where they might have been with their shoes on, right? We don't have to imagine where first century Jews have been with their sandals on. They've walked everywhere. And it's not just the bottom of their sandals that have gotten dirty. It's their feet. And so there would be a servant at the doorstep to wash each person's feet as they came into the house. That's the position that Jesus has taken. Now it's interesting that he's not doing this as the disciples are coming into the upper room. They've already come into the room. They're already at the dinner table. Probably at this point, having already partaken of some things at the dinner table. And during supper, he got up and proceeds to wash their feet. Why? Well, because he is presenting a deeper message. He's presenting himself not just as humble, but as a humble servant. Lady, I'm going to ask you to help me out and bring my stuff up here. <clears throat> what, what's interesting about this is that we have deduced this particular act to an exterior act of service that happens at random times, right? And most of us, let's be honest, most of us get really creeped out when you think about washing someone else's feet, right? Because you know what your feet look like. I know what my feet look like, and I don't want to ask anyone to wash my feet, right? But it's because we've deduced this to a particular act of something that just happens, right? It's, it's not an act of service, it's, it's an act of uh, trying to uh, cloak ourselves with humility and just show people that we're doing something that maybe 
is fixated on our posture, but it doesn't look deeper to our motive and our attitude. And we're going to see Jesus's motive and attitude here in just a moment. I don't want you to miss these details. Okay, look look at the text. It says that Jesus got up from the table, and we know, right? We 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 have this benefit of having the entire scriptures in front of us, right? So we know who Jesus is. There are still people at this particular time who don't understand who he is. Even though he's just said, I came to save the world. I was sent by God the Father to save the world. There's still some people who don't understand who he is or even what he's doing, including those sitting at the table with him. I want you to underline this next phrase. He laid aside his outer garments. He laid aside his outer garments. It's likely that someone who was serving as a particular servant probably didn't have outer garments. They couldn't afford those. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Messiah, who's come, sets aside his outer garments. And then it says he took a towel and he tied it around his waist. I'm not going to do this because I don't really want to. Also because this towel isn't large enough. I think Jesus was a relatively fit person. But, but I, I, want, I want you to picture this, okay? Because he's, he's taken off his outer garment, so to speak, his jacket, right? But now he's wearing this singular tunic. And he wraps the towel around him to prevent his tunic from getting dirty from the feet of the disciples. So he's... Preparing himself, much like someone in a, uh, a restaurant would wear an apron, right? Or you would wear an apron if you're in the kitchen making things because you don't want your clothes to get dirty, right? And it says that he laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel and he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Anna, can you join me up here? I also don't think they had a coffee carafe during the first century. I, I just want to make sure you guys know these things. Like These, these aren't all the things that would have been evident. Okay, um, And I actually, you can go ahead and sit here. I actually thought about this, like, how many people are going to think I have a carafe of coffee up here with me this morning? Because I also have a cup. And that's an idea for next week. I may just do that. But Jesus, far greater than I, got up from his place of position and authority 
at the table with his brothers, this family, these men who had walked with him for the last three and a half years. And he took the towel and he began to put water and he began to wash their feet. But why? Why would he wash their feet? Why would he do something that is so utterly disgusting? So, and see, you guys are jumping to conclusions. You can't see her feet. The great thing is, is that I live with her so I know that she took a shower this morning and that she washed her feet you could have but here's the thing Jesus has taken the position that no one else wants to take Jesus is doing something that no one else wants to do and it doesn't matter how much dirt and dust and grime are on these feet he just continues to wash them. Now you can understand that this posture is something that is easily visible to everyone that is sitting at the table. But what they can't see is what's in his heart and what's in the heart of those that are sitting at the table. And yet he continues to hold this posture. Thank you. <clears throat> Laney, can you grab this stuff? I, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is taking the posture that no one else wants to take. He's taken off his outer garments. He's picked up the tools of a servant. And he's knelt down amongst the men who he spent his last three years with. The last days that he's going to spend on this earth before his crucifixion, he spent with these individuals. And it tells us in verse 6 that he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? But look at the motive of servanthood. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Peter. Right? 
Aside from Jesus, when you read through the Gospels and then even read through the book of Acts, you, you kind of start to understand that Simon Peter is kind of the unsung leader amongst the disciples, right? Aside from Jesus, Simon is the oldest of the of the chosen apostles that are walking with Jesus. We know this because Simon, Peter, and Jesus are the only ones who pay the temple tax when they went to the temple. You say, why does that matter? Because only those over the age of 20 had to pay the temple tax. You see, the reality is, is that the rest of the dudes sitting at this table are teenagers. Now, here's what I want to ask you. If you have teenagers living in your own home, or you just see teenagers in this room, how many of you would wash their feet? Remember, Jesus is doing something that no one else wants to do. And he hasn't just taken the posture of it, he's... He has a motive of servanthood deep within his heart. And we see that Simon obviously doesn't understand this, right? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, Jesus, I know who you are. Why would you do this? I should be the one washing your feet. And like, you wonder just for a moment, like, did Jesus think, well, Simon, why didn't you wash my feet then? If you know that you're the one who should probably be doing this, why haven't you done it? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. But Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. There's no way that I would let you do that. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, because obviously I want to be with you. Don't just wash my feet. Wash everything. But you see, Jesus knows the deeper meaning of this. He's not just talking about washing the dust and the dirt and the grime off of their feet. He's talking about washing their heart. And not washing their heart with water, but washing their heart with His blood. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will afterwards. Jesus explains, verse 10, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Why is he doing this? Why is Jesus washing the feet of disciples? And not only is he washing the feet of the disciples, if he knows that someone sitting at that table isn't clean, why is he doing it? Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Listen, Jesus is not washing the feet of the disciples for a photo op. He's not washing the feet of the disciples to shame them because they haven't taken this position. 
He's washing the feet of the disciples so that they will gain wisdom and understanding of who he truly is. Who is he? The Savior of the world. The one who makes men and women clean with his blood. I don't want you to miss this at the end of verse 10. And you are clean. But not every one of you. He knows, right? Jesus knows that not everyone sitting at this table is clean. He knows that. And yet his motive for them is wisdom and understanding. He wants them to understand, right? Let, let, me, let me ask us this question. How many of us, when we're working on a particular project... We're working on a particular task. We're, we're moving through together with another individual, another group, or whatever. And, and we just continually get frustrated with that individual or that group because we have to keep telling them over and over and over. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Like you just have to keep telling them over and over. Like, I have said the same thing to you a thousand times. Why can you not get it? But let me ask us this question. When that happens, is our motive for them to gain wisdom and understanding of why we're doing this particular task? Why we need to do it this particular way? Or do we just want the task done? You've, you've probably heard this phrase before. It's just easier for me to do it than to show someone else how to do it, right? Can I tell you that that phrase has brought on problem after problem after problem in the next generation? Because it is far more convenient for us just to do the task than to show someone how to do it, right? And here's Jesus who takes the posture of servanthood who has the motive of servanthood within his heart. He, he doesn't want to just complete the task. He doesn't want to read a story later and see that the disciples have understood what he's doing and, and are now just doing it, right? How many of us just repeat tasks and have no idea why we're doing it, right? You guys have heard the story about the roast in the oven? Yes, you know this? No? Man. Daughter comes to her mom. Mom, why why do we why do we cut the ends off the roast before we put it in the oven? Well, I um I do it because that's the way your grandma taught me how to, to do it. So the young girl goes to her grandma and says, Grandma, why why do we why does mom Cut the ends off of the roast before she cooks it. Why is she teaching me to do that? Grandma says, I have no idea why your mom's doing it. I did it because I didn't have a big enough pan. <laughs> do you ever just repeat the task, but you have no idea why you're doing it? Right? Jesus doesn't just want the disciples to wash people's feet physically, right? Great, now you don't have dust on your feet before you come into my house. He wants them to serve the people 
To serve them not just with a posture, but with a motive that they would understand. And not just understand that they themselves need to go and wash other people's feet, but that they would understand that Jesus is the Savior. I understand that it's difficult to really see and understand someone's motive, right? But here's a, a similar way that we kind of see the motive of someone on the outside, and it's their attitude. Because if you keep reading in the text, you see that not only does Jesus take the posture of servanthood, not only does he have the motive of servanthood, but he has the attitude of servanthood. We, we've read this a couple times already, but look at the end of verse 10. And you are clean, but not every one of you is. He knows that, right? Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? So again, wisdom and understanding, that's the motive. That's what I want them to understand. He says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Not all of you are clean. I don't know about you, but if I knew that someone at my dinner table was going to betray me, I'm not sure if I could wash their feet. Jesus takes the position that no one else wants to take. That no one else will take. And he does it. He knows what's in Judas's heart, right? He knows that Judas is going to betray him. And what does he do? Washes his feet anyway. I think it would have been very easy for Jesus to show an attitude of anger. Would you agree? Like he knows that Judas is going to betray him. He could show an attitude of anger and just call him out in front of everybody. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He instead washes Judas' feet just like all the other disciples. He doesn't take an attitude of anger. He doesn't take one of pity that he's going to be betrayed. He knows this is what has to happen. And he does it anyway. Many of us, when circumstances get difficult, we avoid those circumstances, right? things get rocky in a relationship with someone else we just avoid those people and yet Jesus shows us that we need to take the posture of being a servant with him we need to have the motive of a servant that we want them to to gain wisdom and understanding not just about the particular situation but about who God is and we should have the attitude of a servant that we're not doing it so that people would recognize what we're doing. 
That we're not doing it so that we have a thing that we can hold over this person's head, right? But that we're doing it because we are serving the King of Kings. We're serving our Lord. You're right to call him Lord and teacher. And if your Lord and teacher would take that posture, then you also should take that posture. Father God.